Hello, and welcome to Nightcap with Jim. I am the titular Jim, and tonight we'll be continuing our discussion on Tour of Duty. This episode will be focusing on Season 2. For more content you may enjoy, please check out the Morning Magami podcast and our other social media at Magami Players on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and YouTube. Before we get into the first topic of the night, I do have a little bit of bad news. Uh, Lethal Weapon, the television show reboot has lost one of its main cast members due to a firing. Clayne Crawford, who plays Martin Riggs on the show, has been fired and is going to be replaced with Sean William Scott. The firing came uh, apparently because of some on-set behavior that people found not so great uh, on the part of Clayne Crawford. This is to some, a death blow to the show, and season three, while there is an episode order, the episode order is only 13, so it's half, and might even be moved to mid-season. This usually is the uh, death knell of television shows, if they're moved from full to half to mid-season. So... We'll uh, be following the story as it develops and keep you updated. Personally, though, I think this is nonsense. Um, I'm going to continue to watch the show just to see what happens. Maybe Sean William Scott and Damon Wayans will also have some pretty good chemistry. Maybe they'll do something good with the show. I don't know. All I know is I'm super fucking bummed out that Clayne Crawford and Martin Riggs are no more where Lethal Weapon is concerned. Anyway, let's get into what we're supposed to talk about. Tour of Duty. Alright, so uh, just a little heads up. This episode's probably going to be a little bit shorter than the previous. um, And probably is going to be shorter than Season 3's episode. uh, Primarily because this season is in fact shorter than the others. Uh, The other two seasons have uh, 20 to 22 episodes. Uh, this season only got 16. Uh, I'm not sure why. I haven't been able to find any information on that. Uh, I imagine, though, it's just because of budgetary reasons. Uh, it's a very big-budget show. The first season had an enormous cast uh, and had to do a lot of stuff. This season, they kind of jacked it up a bit because they've moved uh, from the primary location of Firebase Ladybird to a... Uh, an airbase kind of a situation called Tansen Nut, uh, and also dealing a lot of dealing with a lot of uh, stories where they have to go into Saigon. So this means them having to build big old city set as well as a big old base set. Uh, so that's pos- that's possibly uh, the reason why. Um, but anyway, so yeah, the uh, the team has been uh, transferred from Firebase Ladybird to. Uh, a new base called Tansanut uh, at the outset of season two. Um, it's an interesting change uh, because uh, we know it's really all about uh, it's re- you really get more uh, flavor, a little bit more and uh, you know a bigger overview of uh, of the war in general from these guys' perspective uh, when we're talking about transferring from a fire base, you know, with uh, you know just about a company of guys, give or take which is a company is generally 100, 120 guys, depending on strength, you know, uh, casualties, wounded, and so on and so forth. 
uh, and whether or not they can get replacements in to, uh, but generally a full strength company is about 120 guys, give or take. Um, so uh, moving from a firebase with just a company sized element to a big old big old base like Tonson Nut um, is very is very interesting, uh, especially with the stories that uh, they are allowed they can tell now, uh, especially because they are in close proximity to a major city, i.e. Saigon. Um, it's it's really it's really a totally different dynamic this time around in season two because of this this big change. Um, so uh, the missions change as well, and instead of just your the straight up kind of what they were doing, because with at Firebase Ladybird they were doing you know more a lot more patrol kind of stuff. Season two they're doing a lot more uh, search and destroy kind of missions or. As the vernacular changed as the war went on, uh, that terminology was um, altered to reconnaissance in force. Uh, in season three, they in fact, uh, Lieutenant Goldman in fact uh, addresses this um, by uh, saying, uh, "I guess it sounds too much like war, search and destroy," <laughs> which is which is technically accurate. You know, search and destroy does sound very aggressive. In reconnaissance and force, it's it's just not quite as, you know, uh, doesn't quite have the same bite to it that uh, search and destroy does. Because search and destroy is very much, it's you know, it's right there. You know, you don't really need to describe what a search and destroy mission is. Um, reconnaissance and force, though, is it's kind of just like a little little slip, little you know, little sidestep, little sidestep over, um, so that uh, you know you can try to get some a little bit of just like. No, we're not just out there killing people, kind of a vibe, you know. So the press corps, the press officers, and you know the higher ups can be like, "Oh no, we're not just out here killing people. We're doing, we're doing stuff," <laughs> which you know, depending on who you're talking about, it's a bunch of bunk. But whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this season, it, there's a very different dynamic going on, and that's one of the things that, again, this show that I that I really uh, really dig about this show is the fact that um, they keep changing things up. You know, uh, we're dealing with, like I said, season one's on the firebase, so it's we're really contained and constrained to a specific region, geographically speaking, uh, with the with a few a few notable exceptions in some of the episodes. Um, but with with moving to Tansanut uh, at a major major uh, base uh, in close proximity to a major city, it's just total. It's a totally different dynamic. So so now we're dealing with much larger scale missions, and in, in some cases, uh, we're also dealing with you know stories of of going into Saigon, which is in fact how the uh, first uh, two episodes. Um, open up for season two, Saigon part one and two, and uh, the reason they did two part episode to start the uh, show off is because it's dealing with the Tet Offensive of 1968, which uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Vietnam War, uh, the Tet Offensive was a massive, massive uprising and attack countrywide by the North Vietnamese Army and Viet Cong forces. This was a massive buildup of 
of uh, military personnel and guerrilla fighters uh, from top to bottom. Like I said, it's it was a countrywide attack. So every major city, every major base, uh, even you know some pretty big fire bases, everything, uh, everything that was uh, significant enough a target was attacked. Um, and the fact that it all happened, you know, right at the same time on the same day, uh, is an impressive feat of of tactics and strategy. Uh, I can't really recall any other time in history where such um, an event attack has has occurred and been so successful. Now, the American forces did. Um, they did manage to fight off most of the attacks and even what objectives the uh, Viet Cong and the NVA were able to to capture, they were eventually forced out of. Um, the VC and the NVA, though, they, they did regard it as an amazing success, uh, which is technically accurate, you know? I mean, like I said, I've never heard of an attack like this throughout military history where two different factions, like I said, again, like the VC are kind of your special forces equivalent um, of the the of the Vietnamese uh, enemy forces uh, specializing in guerrilla attacks. Um, and the NVA are, you know, your standard hardcore soldiers. Um, and when I say hardcore, I mean hardcore. Like, the NVA were not the types to be trifled with. I mean, neither were the VC, but you have to remember, like, uh, the VC, when I say they're the Special Forces equivalent, I'm, I'm being generous and not generous at the same time. Because a lot of the VC were just your regular, everyday Joes. And when I say that, I mean, like, their day job was to farm, because they had a farm, <laughs> and, then, and then they'd have to go out at night, or, you know, whatever their schedule was, put on their black pajamas and grab their AKs or their Mosin Nagants and so on and so forth and go out and fight the Americans but then you know they'd have to slip away into the jungle and then go back to their farm and then back into their rice paddy or whatever and and just do and just do their farming and whatnot and you know not too much I don't have too much sympathy for for certain factions because there was a you know, a pretty prevalent element of, of torture and, and just horrific acts in general by the VC and the NVA. To be fair, the American military has had a few of those situations, uh, more than a handful to say the least, throughout the years and in Vietnam specifically because, again, this war was very stressful. Not that that's, and that's definitely not an excuse. It's just, um, it's just, a, you have to understand the more stressful the more frustrating, the quicker and more a greater percentage of these kind of events will take place. Um, it's it's a sad fact, and it's a real bummer, and it's something that we're going to get into a little bit in episode three, um, dealing with an episode that uh, is similar uh, that uh, took a took that uh, took a real life story, and you know they made it their own, um, dealing with uh, an event called the My Lai massacre. That occurred during the Vietnam War, uh, but we'll get into that in the next episode. Uh, but generally, but anyway, back to season two. Um, so yeah, it, it opens up with the Tet Offensive, uh, 
which is pretty a uh, pretty bold move for a television show again to to start off with uh, like again like this these these seasons start off with big episodes um, which is pretty much part and parcel uh, for for the formula nowadays but you know back uh, you know before tour of duty again I don't really recall that many shows doing such epic stuff um, you know they like usually they'd have to build to it uh, or it would be kind of a one-off you know just like the first season or you know the first season's not that big then the show gets some traction and then they can up the ante season two and season three and so on but uh, tour of duty they just they were swinging for the fences every time I mean you know like it's a I, I hate to use a sports analogy but yeah it's true you know like a lot of these episodes for tour of duty are straight up home run swings you know just all the power that the batter can muster just trying to knock the the rawhide straight off of that ball you know what I'm saying and uh, sometimes you know sometimes they they get the home run sometimes you know they get a triple or a double but uh, they never strike out and that's the thing that really again sets this show apart to me is because um, I I'm, I'm I'm registered on IMDB so I rate you know all this all the stuff I see uh, I haven't been really good at doing television shows in terms of individual episodes as a uh, you know but I've been working on it uh, recently so when I was watching Tour of Duty this last time around, I went and actually was at, I was rating these episodes, and that's how I've got my that's how it was so easy for me to you know pick out my list of favorite episodes because all I had to do was go on my IMDb page and look at you know look at my ratings for the episodes just right there, and um, and there's just there's no episode that uh, disappointed me that uh, that I. There's not even, I think there's maybe one episode that I rated as a 7, but nothing lower than that. Pretty much all of them are 8s, you know, or 9s, and then a couple of 10s thrown in there. So, um, and I'm, and this, and again, like, I like, because I, the whole reason I was watching the show, again, was, you know, not to just watch it again to enjoy it, but to really analyze it so I could do these podcasts, and... I'm telling you, man, this show is just really amazing. I'm, you know, if any of you guys go back and watch it, I don't know if you can find it on TV, and I'm not sure if it's on any of the streaming services, but uh, you can get it on DVD. I know that for a fact. <laughs> um, it might be a little bit harder to find nowadays because the DVDs came out, geez, almost 10 years ago, if not more, when I was in high school. So, you know, they might be a little bit tough to track down, but uh, it's worth it if you get the chance to watch. Um, so as this uh, season goes on, we see a lot of interesting things happen and a lot of interesting topics uh, brought up, which we're going to get into when I get to the episode segment. But um, in general, you know, it again, it's just it's pushing it's pushing boundaries. You know, uh, racial slurs are still prevalent. The epic action is still prevalent. Um, they did they did uh, um, come up with a few new tricks. Uh, just to save money because they kind of, again, they kind of blew their wad in season one uh, with, with you know, the battle scenes and, you know, using helicopters all the time for, for their insert and excer uh, and insertions and exfiltrations. 
Um, which is, you know, again, just like, holy crap, you know, that's really big budget stuff that you're talking about. And, uh, and so they, they reuse, they have to, they're just, they have to reuse some shots. Um, and it's just because. Now, unless you've watched the show like three or four times, or you're just like a super eagle-eyed viewer and you've got a really great memory, you're really probably not going to notice it too much. I mean, you'll notice it here and there. Uh, I, I remember noticing it here and there when I first watched it, uh, especially the way that I watched it, because I had to wait, you know, six, eight months or whatever between the seasons getting released on DVD. And what I would do is I got the first season, watched the first season, you know, however long later the second season gets released, I get the second season, but I watch the first season again to go into season two, and then season three comes out however many months later, I watch season one, season two, season three, all in one go. So um, if you do it like that, you know, uh, you're going to notice these things. But uh, if you're just, if you're just watching, if you just get the whole set and you just start watching at your own pace, whatever it is, you're probably not going to notice it too much. And it doesn't really take anything away from in the enjoyment that you'll get. Uh, I mean, unless you're just, you know, super nitpicky about the stuff, which is, like, you know, hey, there's people out there like that, and that's cool, that's cool. Um, you know, but I, if you do watch the show, please, I just want you to, to remember that, you know, like, just, these guys are just going all out, you know, and when you have to build not one, but two gigantic sets from scratch, that's a big chunk of budget, you know, and we're talking about a television show here. We're not talking about a big budget, you know, $150 million movie where if they get bogged down with something, they can go to the studio and be like, hey, we need another 10, 15 million bucks and we need another, you know, month or so to, to get all this stuff done that we need to get done. And the studio, you know, we usually appease that. But when you're talking about a television show, you don't get to go back and be like, hey, we need, we need a little something, something to help us out here. And that's how you get, you know, um, these, like, reused shots and stuff like that is just because, you know, they got their budget and they're they're just being super ambitious the whole time. And then, you know, they just realized, oh, we kind of we kind of messed up a little bit here, <laughs> so we're going to have to reuse some shots. And, and that's okay, though. I mean, like, typically the shots that they reuse work and they're kind of, like, different, like, little bit different they're different uh each time so it's like you know they have like however much footage of this thing and they kind of try to mix it up and you know use a little bit of different clip here you know use a clip of it here like that you know um so again it's not it's not that big a deal uh but uh it's really cool you know i mean uh, if i'm being honest though season two is my is is my third favorite of the three uh season three is my favorite um, just because of, of they, 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 you know, the team goes and joins Mac V. Sog and, uh, Mac V. Sog is just totally fascinating to me. Um, it's actually something I want to do a couple of movies about, uh, cause there are a couple of really fascinating guys that join that unit. Um, and then, uh, season one is just awesome. Again, just listen to the previous episode, <laughs> uh, you know, um, and season two, it's still great. It's still great, though. It's just, you know, it's just not my favorite. 
uh, but it's still amazing. It's still fantastic. And uh, it's, like I said, it's definitely worth watching. So uh, I'm going to take a quick break here, and we're going to come back with my favorite episodes from Season 2 of Tour of Duty. Okay, and now to uh, jump into my uh, favorite episodes from Season 2 here. Uh, we're going to start off with an episode called Sleeping Dogs. Now, uh, I like this episode a lot uh, just because of the story that they're telling. They're dealing with um, a sniper that is part of the, the platoon. And uh, the uh, uh, actor playing, uh, you might know from such films as Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, uh, The Hateful Eight, Michael Madsen. Now, again, that's, this is another thing that sets this show apart uh, from, from a lot of stuff is just, like, the amazing guest stars that they had uh, that they were able to acquire over the years. Uh, we're going to get into some really cool guest stars um, in the next episode, uh, but for now, the big one is, is Michael Madsen, uh, and it's just uh, he just does a fantastic job. You know, I mean, I don't know how well you guys know him, um, but, uh, I think he's pretty good, you know, I think he's a pretty great actor, and in this, and this is, uh, you know, just one piece of evidence that I have to prove that, this, this episode, Sleeping Dogs, he does a really great job as a sniper, who's just kind of burned out on war, but at the same time, he's kind of, he's, 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 he's kind of broken, um, in a way, and what I mean by that is, he's, kind of he's kind of lost it he's kind of gone over he's kind of he's crossing lines and and why i say that is because he 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 does something that most soldiers consider to be taboo and that is trophy taking uh but a very specific type of trophy body parts in this case fingers and um there's this really, again, Michael Madsen just does a great, really great job with this this role. Because there's a scene where he explains why he he takes uh, he takes fingers, and uh, it's one of his first gigs as a sniper, if not his very first. Um, and he's watching this VC uh, kid for you know for just a really long time. And then the kid points at him at some point, uh, right as he uh, takes his shot and kills him, and that kill just haunts him. And th that's that's the thing you have to re realize about snipers is that snipers, um, some you know it, it, it's a case by case basis, but you know sometimes they can be kind of ostracized from regular army units or regular, you know, your regular ground forces. Um, just because what they do is is so close to murder, the lines can kind of get blurred a little bit. You know, like, they're, they're, they're almost assassins in a way. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It's just, it's just got. You have to realize how much of, a, how much greater a toll that serving in a, in combat is for for a sniper because their mission objectives 
are are just so specific because they that's literally what they're there for is they're there to make precision shots and confirm kills uh you know but i have nothing but the greatest respect and admiration for these guys especially the person i consider to be the greatest sniper of all time and that's carlos hathcock who served who did in fact serve in the vietnam war and he you know 93 confirmed kills uh and you know i it, hey if anybody out there is going to be like hey well, what about chris kyle man he's pretty awesome he got like 160 kills didn't he doesn't that make him better mm, not really uh <laughs> like here's the thing like the way that these two guys operated was so different from each other and the op and the places where they operated was also extremely different Kyle, he he was always back up to to a bigger operation, you know, so, you know, backing up the Marines, you know, he, he always had, you know, plenty of backup around him uh, if he needed to, you know, call in um, air and artillery support if it was available. Uh, he also, you know, I mean, he also had SEAL training, which, I mean... Nothing against the Marines. Marines are some hardcore dudes. I mean, and Carlos Hathcock was a Marine, so, you know, respect Marines. Uh, but uh, SEAL training is pretty intense, so, you know, and uh, you just, it's just, it's all, it's very different. You know, also, it's just like the level of technology that Chris Kyle had at his disposal in terms of his armaments, scopes, and, you know, uh, um, binoculars and so on and so forth was just you know a lot a, just a higher level of technology than Hathcock all Hathcock had was a bolt action rifle um a scope you know nothing special just like he could adjust wind and distance but you know he would have to eyeball that stuff by himself um you know if he you know so it's just like you know, like he would have to, like he would have to figure out the distance to a thing by by you know ranging that at a different location, and you know, so like being at his base and knowing that from you know where he is at the top of the hill or whatever to the bottom of the hill is you know x meters, and and then he's got to take that into the field and you know like he doesn't have like range finding gear. So it's just way, and also the way he operated was so much different. So, like I said, Chris Kyle, he would be back in the Marines. So there's plenty, there's a company or whatever, a platoon of Marines in the area. So if he gets into the shit, he can just be like, "Hey, I'm under attack," and the Marines gonna be right there. Uh, Carlos, at best, had a spotter with him, um, and at best, he would be part of a, he would be doing drop offs. So what that means is that he would go out with a squad of guys, right? And the squad would do a patrol, and then he would just slip off into the bushes with his spotter or by himself because a lot of the times he did operate alone. Um, and that is crazy if you stop and think about it for a second. One guy, bolt-action rifle, maybe a pistol, walking through the jungles of Vietnam by himself with a bounty on his head. I mean, after he was there for a year or so, 
he got a he you know he 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 actually um, he was walking through a field one day and he found a feather and he put this white feather in his boonie cap uh, boonie hat and you know he would be seen here and there and he got a reputation you know and had just a gigantic bounty on his head um, and would go out there by himself and and that's just balls out insane to me i mean like hey mad respect for this guy because i don't know i i that's just you know uh <laughs> just walking through a combat zone by yourself um that's impressive to say the least so uh you know um and i'll probably talk about carlos some other time um if i ever talk about like american sniper and go into a little bit more detail but let's continue on let's focus let's focus on tour of duty uh so the next episode that i like uh, uh that i that i really love is i wish it would rain is what it's called and this one's fascinating because it deals with cross-border uh stuff uh specifically cambodia in this instance in this context and um the reason that's interesting is because like i said mac v sog they did cross-border operations, so they were doing black ops kind of stuff. They were deny it was deniable ops. Uh, so, you know, like they, I mean, like they, you know, in in the war they they did you know fudge some stuff here and there to give um, SOG units support that they technically should not have been able to get, uh, just because they're the by the by you know sixty eight sixty nine. Uh, a SOG mission, you know, if you got six, eight guys, that's typically what a SOG team would rock with. They were, they're, every time they get off the helicopter, they're outnumbered 100 to 1. And by 69, you know, um, a lot of the times these, these SOG teams were getting hit right when they were getting off the chopper. So they didn't even get to accomplish their missions by the time you get to 1970, 71, 72. And that's just, that's just crazy. Like, you're, going into a country you're not supposed to be in and and trying to run these these operations in secret as best you can but eventually the enemy's catching on and is like we need to step up our patrols in our homeland you know and then and where where you know these guys aren't supposed to be air quotes um but they're doing it anyway they're breaking the rules so we gotta we gotta counter that, and so by the time you get to seventy, this you know the seventies, these cross border operations weren't quite as effective as they had been. Um, but this episode is again, it's just dealing with we're we're still regular army with these guys in season two, so they're just not allowed over there. But some rules get broken when some emotional stuff happens at the top of the episode. And uh, the the platoon ends up rocking into Cambodia for a minute there, and that's pretty that's pretty crazy, you know. Uh, I mean, technically, soldiers weren't even supposed to fire their weapons in you know across the border, um, you know. But there's some, you know, sometimes some stuff happens. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, like just you just think about how crazy that is, uh, because you know these VC. Uh, with their guerrilla attacks, they know this stuff, so they can hit a regular army unit like they do in in this episode, and then just 
go across the border into Cambodia and just be like, peace out. We're not dealing with you no more. And, you know, it, it's it's one of these things about Vietnam that just, uh, you know, illustrates how, how, again, just frustrating this war would have been, you know, being a, uh, a grunt and having to fight the war with one hand tied behind your back, you know, and, and someone just hits you in the foot with a, you know, just like stomped on your foot really hard. So now you got, you know, you got a little bit of a, you know, you got a wonky foot. And that's kind of what these guys are dealing with. And it's just, it's just incredible that, you know, um, more, more people didn't just lose their minds over there. You know, some strong wills, strong willed people, uh, over, uh, in, in our armed forces at the time. Um, and so the next episode, uh, popular forces. Now this deals with, um, what were called rough puffs. And these are, you know, guys, uh, Vietnamese who uh, were in the military in some capacity or another, um, whether it be just working on a base um, or whatever, and then getting transferred to combat units and uh, our American forces having to train them up and assist them on missions here and there. And this episode is interesting um, for dealing with that, but also the way they do it. Uh, because it comes to a point in the episode where uh, they are severely outnumbered um, by an a incoming NVA company, and the only choice that they have, the only way they can survive, is for for these uh, rough puffs, these the Vietnamese armed forces, to um, take the uh, clothing that they retrieved from uh, a VC group that they. Um, uh, killed earlier in the mission and pretend to be VC with, uh, you know, the Americans being their captives. And that's just pretty, you know, that would be pretty unsettling because that's exactly, it's just, you know, the commander of the Vietnamese guys, he just says, you know, in Vietnamese, hey, drop your shit, get these, get these black pajamas on, we're VC now. And that's the only way we're going to get out of this. But he doesn't tell he doesn't tell our guys, you know, the Americans about what he what his plan is. So he so you know you have to think like Zeke Anderson, and these guys, you know, having to drop their guns and walk up to a company of NVA with people who are supposed to be their allies pointing guns at them, talking about you know, <laughs> you know that would be pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it works out in, in the end uh, for the most part, but uh, but yeah, it's just that's just really crazy. Um, our next episode is Promised Land. Now, this one is really emotional uh, because it deals with an old friend of Zeke's who um, who's killed in a skirmish at the top of the episode, and uh, this guy's uh, and these guys were really tight. Uh, they uh, they've known each other for a long time. They went through jungle warfare school together, uh, which you know would be a pretty, pretty um, intense bonding experience. And uh, this guy's wife uh, got his name's Binion. Um, Binion's uh, wife um, asks for Zeke to uh, bring his body home. Now uh, it gets a little uh, wonky there because Binion is African American, and 
the way that he is, he just doesn't, this guy just didn't see race. So he never mentions to his wife that Zeke is white. And so Zeke shows up at, at you know, uh, at his house, you know, just to say hello and, you know, introduce himself. Um, and, uh, you know, when she opens the door, uh, she's just got this slack-jawed look on her face like, you're Zeke Anderson? <laughs> and now, uh, this is this is um, important to mention uh, because at this point in the timeline, um, Martin Luther King has just been shot uh, the day that uh, Zeke leaves Vietnam to take the body back. And so it's about an 18-hour kerfuffle to get from Vietnam to the States uh, with the military transport and everything. So, uh, racial tensions were high, to say the least, at this point in, in American history. And in this, 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 um, this obviously is a major plot point for this episode, dealing with, with the fact that um, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was just assassinated. And, and this translates as well into what's happening with the platoon back in, in the war, where we have uh, another platoon commander who is who is African American, and he runs his guys really hard, and he's got good reason to. You know, uh, th the statistics are something like thirteen percent of uh, African Americans uh, were in combat units. Something like uh, that could be. I could be that could be the wrong statistic, but anyway. Only 2% of all African Americans in the war were officers. And that's a pretty alarming statistic, to me anyway. Um, and also just revealing in general of, of kind of how, you know, African Americans were still not quite getting, you know, they're still, still kind of getting the short end of the stick. Um, uh, and not, uh, and, you know, the government and also just other people not being so subtle about their racism. So, uh, you know, it's kind of alarming a little bit that, uh, you know, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, in terms of just talking about tour of duty, I guess, but, but yeah, so you have this guy who's running his guys really hard and, you know, his, his guys are like, we want to frag, we want to frag him and fragging. That's just, you know, or we want to kill him. Um, and, you know, then you have Anderson who's, who's you know, dealing with with the loss of one of his best friends and the fact that his brother, this uh, Sergeant Binion's, <clears throat> excuse me, brother-in-law, he's no fan of white people at, the, at this present time. And, uh, I mean, understandably so, you know, you're, you're, you're a black man. You've served in the military honorably with distinction. You know, you come home, you know, you think you're going to get the, you think you're going to, you know, get some more respect because you've served your country. And that turns out to be a load of bull, uh, bull-loney. And, and then you have this this white guy coming up to you saying, my God, I'm so sorry. You know, he's one of my best friends. He jumped on a grenade and he saved four other guys, you know, and Martin Luther King's just been shot and killed. And you're just feeling all these emotions and just, you're being torn up inside. 
and you know I for, I forget the name of the actor who plays uh, Sergeant Binion's brother-in-law but he just gives a really great performance uh, in this episode and uh, it ends with a, a very moving eulogy by Zeke at the funeral and um, and it's just fantastic you know uh, to see somebody who's who's just trying to not be a bad person you know like just doesn't want any of that poison in him uh which is the kind of character that zeke is he just doesn't he just doesn't want he just wants to be a good person you know and and he is constantly coming up against obstacles in that pursuit uh which again is one of the things that makes this show really great uh Moving on to Lonesome Cowboy Blues. Um, now this episode, again, is just has one of these epic battle f- sequences um, that's just extraordinary. That, you know, again, it's just... These guys making this show really, really, really went all out. Um, you know, it's in, in so many ways. And with some of these battle sequences, they're just breathtaking. Um you know, because doing these things on a television show, again, like, I've watched a lot of stuff, guys, I've never seen battle scenes like this previous to Tour of Duty on a television show, I mean, these are, these are movie, big budget movie battle sequences, um, that these guys are pulling off, and it's just really impressive, uh, next is Sealed with a Kiss. Now, I like this episode. I love this episode a lot, but I do have some criticism about it because it involves the Navy SEALs. Now, as far as I know, I've never heard of a SEAL operation that's quite like the one that takes place in this episode. Um, I don't know everything, um, <laughs> obviously, but uh, I, I've never heard of anything like this, and the reason I say that is because it's one SEAL who goes in with, with uh, Lieutenant Goldman and Sergeant Zeke Anderson. So it's just a three-man team on this op. And I've never heard of anything like that, so a little bit of criticism. But it's still an amazing episode, you know. Um, and also, I'm not... Um, a little... Uh, about the portrayal of, of Navy SEALs um, in this episode. Um, kind of iffy. But uh, even with these little, these little con- uh, criticisms, uh, it's still an amazing episode. Uh, next, we have Hard Stripe. And this deals with um, CIA black ops, but specifically from a, a, a standpoint of corruption. Um, it's just an old friend of Zeke's who's come through, and he's joined, you know, the company. But he technically is a mercenary working for, you know, it's a black ops deniable unit. And but uh, he turns out to be a corrupt bastard. Um, so that's that's fun. That they played with that a little bit. Um, especially it's and it's really dangerous too because this guy's trying to seduce uh, Anderson to joining up with with him and doing what he does and you know thinking about Zeke joining a Merc unit that works you know offshoot for for the CIA you know doing black deniable operations and then possibly being sucked into this corruption is really frightening um, <laughs> a thought. And then finally, uh, we have The Volunteer, which is the season finale. Um, this episode is really interesting because, again, epic battle. It's, it's, it's the season finale, and the season finale, they always go big. 
with Tour of Duty. Um, but this one's fun because of its namesake, the volunteer. And we're dealing with a, a, a young guy who, you know, he's got a desk job and he does not, he has no desire to be a chairborne ranger, as it's called. You know, somebody who's got military training and is actually uh, pretty good at the uh, combat elements um, of training, you know, i.e., you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat and, and firearm and firearms and, and whatnot, uh, but has never actually been tested in the field in combat. Um, and uh, I don't know if you guys know who this is, but this is another uh, great guest star that they got, uh, a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Jamal Warner. Um, if you've seen Community, you will know him as uh, Shirley Bennett's husband. Uh, and he's done, you know, some other. He's done some other great stuff as well. Uh, but he does. He gives a great performance in this episode, and he has a really amazing arc. You know, he goes from he goes from just being super pumped up and super jazzed to go out into the field. He goes out in the field and he gets shot at for the first time and sees, you know, a guy with a sucking chest wound in his face, and he kind of freaks out. And he kind of freaks out, you know, rightfully so. Uh, and you know, and then he he as he's going along through through this mission that they're on, um, they uh you know he he's you know just all jumbled up inside about it until this um this big battle uh takes place and he has to find his courage and he does in spectacular fashion, but. Uh, this episode does end with a pretty big cliffhanger, uh, that being um, Anderson and Goldman get left behind uh, on this op because this battle is just so big and so intense because they're dealing with, um, you know, a, a element that's much larger than their platoon and is is taking them out. It's taking them out pretty pretty good, and so it's just evac, 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 and you know, Goldman and Anderson, they just get stuck and they they can't get airlifted out, so they end up getting left behind, and that's and that's how the episode and the season ends. And so that's where I'm gonna end. Uh, <laughs> um, we're gonna pick the the rest of this up in the next episode, uh, season three of Tour of Duty. Uh, that's our show for tonight. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and please tune in to our morning show with Heath and our other social media content at Mongami <clears throat> Players on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and YouTube. Thank you again for stopping by for a nightcap. Good night. <laughs>